welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're currently in a series called Revelation, Breaking the Code. The book of Revelation is one of the most fascinating and power-packed books in the entire Bible. Now here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. How are we doing today, church? Doing good? Welcome to the house of God. We're so glad you are here. I want to give a warm shout out and welcome to all of the campuses. Probably won't list them all by name, but I do have just a few really, really praise reports for the New Hope Kenya campus that we have. Um, we just received uh, permission, acceptance of our permits last week, and we will now begin construction on the deep water wells that will provide clean drinking water for villages throughout Kenya. Come on, church. Now, that's awesome. That's awesome. I want to welcome the other campuses. Garner Campus is starting their building expansion. Uh, started this past week for their lobby area. That's going well. Hey, I want to tell you about this. I want to welcome the NCCIW Daughters of the King at the women's prison. But not only are we in the women's prison now, we are now in the men's prison doing Bible studies and a worship celebration once a month at Polk Prison. So now we want to welcome the men of Polk Prison to the New Hope Movement. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, as we get ready to get going today, just a few housekeeping things. Hey, if you got your phone, you can take it out. If you want to get on the app, the church app, you can go to the app store, search New Hope Church or my name, and download the app if you haven't already. Um, if you do have it, go ahead and take it out. Now, I want to just tell you about something. We got a little snafu in the technology. Sometimes you open the app to take notes on the message, and it's not this week's message, and you think, well, they're slack. They haven't got this week's message. Um, no. What happens is, what happened was, um, you, <laughs> you got to click on the Bible thing. It's a snafu in the technology, but if you click on the Bible link right there, it'll take you to the Bible. Then go back, and it'll be there. Don't worry. Our, um, our technicians, they're taking care of that. It's probably something in the coding. But uh, go ahead and use your app if you would like. And um, already mentioned the baptism and the, all that stuff that we're going to do and all that. I do have one more announcement, though. If you are in between the ages of 18 and 35, we are kicking off a new ministry for young adults, college students and young adults called 1835. Now, check this out. Some woman, some saint of God, I don't even know her name yet, called the church office this week and said, I would like to provide a way for as many young adults as possible for them to go to the movie War Room. It's number one at the box office this weekend. Priscilla Shire is just unbelievable. There's, there's, a, there's a great need for solid Christian stuff in our culture. And this woman stroked a $1,000 check, told us to go reserve an entire movie theater and invite all the young adults, 18 to 35, September 30th, 6.30 p.m., right on your Connect card right now. Just write young adults, uh, right, 18.35, that is, and show up at the theater that night. We got your seat. And it's going to be a great, and it's a great way to kick off this ministry. It's called what? 1835. What that means is, if you're 35 and a half years old, and you're still living in your mama's basement, and you're eating Doritos, we love you. I want some of your Doritos, but you're not welcome at 1835. Okay, just want to get that out there because there's always some guy, some gal who wants to kind of hang around people that is way below their age group. Uh, just saying. Um, Hey, <laughs> open up your Bibles, Revelation, here we go. 
Revelation. Now, I've been uh, trying to teach us all kinds of vocabulary and symbolism and the meaning of some numbers in the book of Revelation. Um, And today, we're going to go even deeper into this subject matter. But if you open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4, I just want to read you a few verses before we get to the meat of it all today. Revelation 4, I probably won't read all 11 verses. Check this out, though. After this, I looked... And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So as we get ready to get into chapter 6 through 16 and we look at this very tricky subject called the tribulation, The Bible is letting us know on the front end of that. This is what is going to take place. Come up here. Let me tell you about what is going to take place. At once I was in the spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven. And someone sitting sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Check this next part out. If you're following me along. Verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Now, have you ever ever wondered what that's about? 24 elders. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled on this particular subject. For me, I believe the translation is really, really clear. When the Bible says in the book of Revelation there are 24 elders around the throne, Jesus is in the middle of the throne. He is the lamb who has been slain. The 24 elders, in my opinion, in my biblical scholarship, represent the 12 patriarchs from the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles from the New Testament. Is it not a cool thing to imagine that around the throne of God, Jesus in the center, and the 12 patriarchs from Old Testament, and the 12 apostles from the New Testament are worshiping God around the throne, and we will join them. Now watch what happens. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, someone sitting on it. We just talked about that. Surrounding the throne were the 24 elders and the thrones. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder in front of the throne seven lamps were blazing if you missed week one i interpreted for you the meaning of the number seven they are the seven spirits of god and also in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass clear and crystal go over to verse uh, chapter five verse six then i saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. There it is again. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. What does that mean, church, those of you who've been with me? What does the word, what does the number seven mean? Complete, perfection, exactly. Horns represent power. Eyes represent, pretty simple, sight. So the lamb has ultimate, perfect, complete power and sight. Now watch this. But no one in heaven, on earth, or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, there they are again, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Have you ever thought about this? Your prayers and my prayers 
impact heaven? And how cool is it to imagine that when we pray, the patriarchs from the Old Testament, the apostles from the New Testament have our prayers and submit them to the throne, to the Lamb. And look at what happens here. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons of every tribe, every language, every people and nation. You have made them to be the kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And right here, we step into Revelation chapter 6. And for 10 long chapters, we study this subject called the the what church the what get ready get ready get ready say that with me get ready get ready get ready no you got to get deeper in the throat man get down ready, ready get ready get ready get ready the tribulation which is what many scholars call and you've heard it called this before the end times. Chapter 6 of the book of Revelation through chapter 16. So I've got 10 chapters to preach today. We'll bring it. I love this church. Which means we will get out of here about 5 p.m. Are you still? Bring it, bring it, bring it. No, no I'm, I, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna adhere to our time. But I got a lot to cover and we are going to go get this today. Now here is where the action really begins in the book of Revelation. Um, 6 through 16 really is about the tribulation. Now write this in the margins of your Bible or maybe on your worship sheets. In chapter 6 through 16, what you see is seals and you see seven of them. Seven seals, which if you were here last week, that was preached on. And I'm going to just kind of touch on it a little bit today because I'm trying to contain the whole tribulation period. You have seven seals. If you just let your eyes fall on your Bible, you will then see trumpets. And how many do you think there are of those? Now, what's interesting is as you go from the seals to the trumpets to the bowls, they tie together. If you'll remember the very first week, I told you that this is apocalyptic scripture. The Johannine community, this book is written by John of Patmos, the son of Zebedee. The Johannine community, they are facing incredible persecution and martyrdom. They are in dire straits. They are afraid for their very life. And so John is writing with a kind of secrecy motif. And he's writing in a very coded kind of way, which is why, by the way, we named the series. The subtitle is Breaking the Code. He's writing in a very coded way. You can never understand the book of Revelation until you understand the vocabulary and the symbolism. You can never break the code, as it were, which is why some of you have read it before and you've been very, very frustrated and you sat it down. So when it gets to the end of the seals, the seventh seal connects to the first trumpet. Then after the trumpets, you see the bowls. How many bowls do you think there are? There are seven bowls. And the seventh trumpet is connected to the seventh bowl. 
And to understand this fascinating period called the tribulation, you have to understand what the writer is doing here, or you will be sucked into some really, really poor, and might I add, dangerous interpretation of a very fascinating book in the Bible. So let's just kind of review some, um, some numbers here. Apocalyptic symbolism for understanding the book of Revelation. The number seven means, and we've already talked about it briefly, means complete or perfection. Everybody say complete. complete. Everybody say perfection. perfection. Now what I'm going to talk to you about now is a number that I haven't really told you about yet, but you're smart people, and if you've been in the faith a long time, you know that the number three is very, very important. It's a triune number. It's a very religious number, right? So the number three is a religious number representing divinity and Trinitarian perfection. Representing divinity and Trinitarian perfection. Now what I'm about to say to you is probably the most important thing I'm going to say to you all day long if you're going to understand this period of the tribulation. So please, please, please don't miss this. Given that the apocalyptic symbol of the number seven means completeness or perfection, and the number three signifies divinity or Trinitarian perfection. You got that? Before I go to the next slide? You got that? Say, get ready, get ready, get ready. All right, all right, good job. All right. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls, don't miss this, should be seen as God's perfectly just judgment and complete victory over evil and oppression in the world. So what the seals and the trumpets and the bowls represent is God's perfect and complete judgment over evil in the world. If you're tracking, say, get ready. It's very, very important because here's what happens. Some of you look at the jacked up stuff in this world, and this is a jacked up world. And some of you look at what's going on. You look at natural disasters. You look at people who thumb their nose at God. You look at untimely deaths where good Christian people die too young. You look at diseases. You look at people. You look at all of this stuff. And some of you slip into a very, very bad theology. And and listen, I've been tempted to go there at times. And the theology starts questioning, where's God? Where's God? God, how in the world can you let that happen? God, what is up with that? And we slip into that and we fail to realize that we are living in the judgment of God. We fail to realize that what is unfolding on planet earth is exactly what the Bible said would unfold on planet earth. And we fail to realize that what is unfolding on planet earth is not, I repeat, is not a result of God turning his back on us. It is a result of mankind living in a fallen world where God graciously gave us choice and free will and we have made an absolute mess of the situation. Don't miss this either. I said last thing might be the most important thing. This might even be more important. The judgment of God is not the vengeance of God. The judgment of God is for believers to know what we're living in and to hold on for dear life. Don't you give up. A better day is coming. We're all going to heaven. It's for believers to be steadfast and hold on, and it is for unbelievers to repent. Come on now. 
It's for, so it's not to strike fear in you. It's not to freak you out. In fact, when we end today, we're going to end with a verse of scripture that lets you know this is all to encourage you only if you're a believer. If you're not a believer and you're not living for God, this is for you to repent. And this is for you to get right with God. Because if you don't get right with God, one day you are going to stand before God. And you're going to live in a very, very difficult day here. And you're going to live in a very, very difficult day there. And the call of Revelation is for you to get your very life right. So, when we get to the seals, here is what you see in the Bible. Don't have time to read all the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. We would be here till five, but I, I'm just going—I'm a broad stroke for you today. Because again, as I said, the very first week of this series, man, I want to help you read the book of Revelation. I just don't want to preach on a pericope. I want to actually help you read the book of Revelation with a solid theology, with some biblical scholarship behind how you read this very fascinating book. And so here we're just going to broad stroke it. Seven seals. You'll find the seven seals in the Bible in Revelation 6, 1 through 14, and 8, 1 through 5. Okay? Here's what you see there. Judgments of war, conflict, and strife. Is that going on today? That's been going on pretty much since the inception of humanity. Economic hardships and famine. You see that going on today? Man, have you seen what's going on in Europe? With, with the migrants, wow, unbelievable. Domination, destruction, deprivation, and death. Now, again, the point if you're a believer is, listen, we live in a jacked up world. We're living in the midst of the judgments of God. And listen, we need to hold on for dear life. Because a better day is coming. The trumpets of God. Revelation 8, 6 through 9, 21, and 11, 15 through 19. Here are the trumpets of God. And here's a place for you to write on your teaching notes these things that are found in the trumpets of God. You see judgments of natural disasters. You ever, you ever see some of the natural disasters going down on planet Earth and think, what's up with that? It's judgments of God. Untimely deaths. Untimely deaths. On Monday of this week, we buried an unbelievable 16-year-old young man right here. The place was packed wall to wall. There were so many students here. I mean, we had to ask some of the students to get up to let some of the elderly people sit down. And so the, the students came down here, and we had like 200 students who were sitting on the floor here. It's a very untimely death. And I felt led in the moment to seize the moment and speak to the young people. And so I sat here and I looked into their eyes and I said, listen, I know the world is jacked up. And it's dark. But the reason you're here is because God wants you to shine a light in the midst of the darkness. So if you're a young person here, listen, don't check out. Don't feel like you can just say, you know what, forget it all, the hell with it. I don't need to be here. No, 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 no. We need you. The world desperately needs this generation to shine a light in the midst of the darkness. Come on, older people, will you let the young people know? We need you. We need you. So there's untimely deaths that take place. And, and you, know, you think of untimely deaths where, where a person who maybe is riding down the road. I, I knew a mom. I knew a mom who was riding down the road with her newborn child in the back seat. And a drunk driver on his fifth driving under the influence charge, crosses the center line 
and hits them and kills them. So this untimely death thing can be something that we bring on ourselves, but it can also bring, be something that is brought onto us from living in a fallen, jacked-up world. See, I can't dress that up for you any. I wish I could. I can't dress that pig up. It's ugly. It's nasty. But it's a result of humanity saying, God, we got this. We'll take, we'll take it all under our own control. God, we, we don't need you. And we thumb our nose at God. And then when the world looks like it looks, we have to realize exactly what is going on. Unnatural contamination of waters and environment and mass murders. It's the judgment of God. Not to bring about the vengeance of God, but to call for repentance from God's people. When I was uh, coming up, uh, I was born and raised in a town called Sumter, South Carolina. I got some Sumter people even up in here right now. And uh, I was raised, and I was raised in a, a non-Christian, de-churched, unchurched family. We never went to church. And uh, my dad's not a Christian today. Would you please pray for him? Um, but my dad, even though he wasn't a Christian, my dad used to say some things that were really, really good. And I still, I still lean on him a lot. But when I was growing up, I was, the, I was the youngest of three boys. And my dad, whenever we boys did something stupid... Lord knows young boys can do some stupid things, right? But I was a young boy. My dad, I'll never forget, he used to say this. Son, you made your bed. Oh, y'all yeah. oh, were told that too. <laughs> Son, you made your bed, now you... Such wisdom. There's consequences to our choices. And if you're really going to understand the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and the tribulation of God, it's really God's way of saying to the world through the book of Revelation, you made your bed. This was not my plan. I created it beautiful, perfect, paradise in Genesis 1. But I gave you free will. You've made your bed. Now lie in it. That's what is happening in this world. Now look at the bowls. Let's look at the bowls. Let's go to the uh, last part of the tribulation. The bowls of God's wrath. Revelation 16, 1 through 21. Here you see things like sicknesses and disease and festering sores. Really encourage you to go read all these chapters later. Contamination of natural ecosystems like oceans and rivers and streams. Here's where John starts to get repetitive. He's tying all these together. He's writing in a very coded way. But the way in which John is writing is to actually bring great unity to the book of Revelation so that it holds together. It really is a very unified, unbelievably written book coded with apocalyptic symbolism and vocabulary. Scorching of humanity by the sun. Now, I'm just going to take you into my study this week. As I studied that this week, I had never really thought about this before, and I'm not about to go get in political, and I'm not about to get up here and debate with you global warming or not, because good Lord, we know we are all over the place. But come on, let me just tell you this. Can we just not acknowledge that there is this thing called climate change? Now, don't be mistaken. Those who are big proponents of global warming, they have an agenda. But global warming, climate change, do you know in the 70s it was global cooling? But there is no denying today, come on, I'm not getting political here. There is no denying that there is climate change taking place 
on this planet. Things are getting warmer. And again, we could debate all day long, what, what's that about? Isn't it interesting, though, in the midst of that today, we see one of realities of living in the midst of God's judgment is scorching of humanity by the sun. I find that fascinating. Plagues. Humanity cursing God and refusing to repent. Is that going on today? Natural disasters like earthquakes and hailstorms. So in the midst of it all, the Bible is saying, hold on for dear life. Hold on. And even if you're following me, God says, even if you're a believer, I know it doesn't seem fair to you that you have to live in the midst of a jacked up world. But listen, it's not fair. Life's not fair. Fairness ended in the garden. And if you're a believer, hold on, hold on, hold on. And if you're not, if you're not living for God and expecting him to return at any time so you live every day that you have to the best of your ability to the glory and honor of Jesus, if you're not, repent and repent fast. Some of you will remember a great radio voice of many, many years ago by the name of Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. Now, I used to listen to Paul Harvey. I told you our family wasn't church, but we would have Paul Harvey on, and he would always have this thing called, now you know the rest of the story. And he'd often sign off, good day. Even when I became a Christian at the age of 18 years old, I, the first job I had earning legitimate money, legal money, if you will, the first job, I was in a, I was in a pigeon farm. I worked in a pigeon house. I wasn't a prodigal anymore. I was in the arms of God, but I was still eating on the pea pods, if you know what I mean. I was in a pigeon house. But even every day at noon, I'd take my bag lunch and I'd walk outside that stinky pigeon house and I'd sit down and I'd turn the radio and I'd listen to Paul Harvey. I want you to listen to a radio broadcast. All the way back to 1963, many of us weren't even born yet. But in 1963, Paul Harvey had a radio broadcast, If I Were the Devil, this is what I would do. For some of you who don't know who Paul Harvey is, let me show you a picture of this guy. He's, he's passed on now, if I'm not mistaken. He said these words in 1963. We're going to bring the lights down low. And we're going to sit in the midst of, I believe, one of the most prophetic things you will ever hear spoken. 1963. Check it out. If I were the devil, I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd submit the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. 
And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and DFI science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what will you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Yeah, I'm with you. Wow. Unbelievably prophetic. And, I, and I've never been one of those guys who walks around, you know, and always trying to go, ooh, you know, when's it going to come? When's it going to happen? And there's a demon under every rock and all that kind of No, 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 I'm not, I'm not that kind of, But can I just tell you, I've never, ever seen what's unfolding on planet Earth right now. I never thought I would live to see the day. It's, it's at a feverish pitch. We are living in the midst of... Of God's judgment. We are living in the midst of God's judgment. And the message for the believers here or at any of our campuses is to hold on for dear life. Let your faith be robust and strong and hold on. And if you're not a believer, the message for you is to repent. And let this message literally, literally scare the hell out of you. Because it's for real. Heaven and hell are real places and real people go there. And what you're starting to see right now is just a tip of the iceberg. And by the way, I wish I could tell you it's going to get better. Like I really wish it was. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's only going to get worse. 
And again, that's not reason for us to slip into depression. That's not reason for us to check out of life. No, no, no. That's a reason for us to understand God's not through with us yet. If you have a pulse, God is not done with you. And he needs you and he needs me to live in the midst of unbelievable darkness and shine our lights for Christ. So I want to talk to you today as I wrap up about a very important subject that has been poorly poorly interpreted over the years. I want to talk to you about the duration of the tribulation. The what? The duration of the tribulation. I might get to the number of those being saved or I might save that for future weeks. The duration of the tribulation. In other words, how long is this tribulation going to last? How long is it going to to last. I don't know if you know this, but over the years there have literally been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of wrong predictions. I just learned this week, because I don't keep up with this stuff anymore because I just, I just think it's a, ro- a royal waste of time, but I just learned this week John Hagee, and listen, God bless John Hagee and his ministry. I'm not throwing stones at his ministry. I'm just telling you the fact. John Hagee currently has a prediction that Jesus is going to come and put an end to it all somewhere between April 2014. They, once, they, once they're wrong many, many times, what they do is they widen the, the range. Because, because if you widen the date range, you have a greater chance of being right. So their current prediction is that Jesus is going to end, the tribulation is going to end, the world is going to come to an end, anywhere between April 2014 and September 2015. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's right now. Ho, oh, oh, we got two weeks. Ah, run! Grab the child, grab the spouse, grab the dog, leave the cat. Run! April 2014 to September 2015. So we got two weeks left. Now, if he comes, if he comes, and again, I'm not throwing stones because listen, he might come. We should live as if he was going to come today. Okay? So he, he might come in the next two weeks. And if he does, I'm ready. Are you? And even though I'm ready, I'm sorry, sorry, just being real. I, I, I kind of wish he'd wait a little bit longer. Because I'm really craving me some turkey on Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, I want Amy Lynn's sweet potato pie, sweet potato casserole. She puts about an inch and a half of that caramel pecan stuff on the top of it man glory hallelujah i'm wanting some dressing i want my grandma's recipe sausage dressing none of that stuff that some of you do what are you doing you take all that stuff and you slam it up in the bird that's nasty you put you put your dressing up in there where all the innards were that's an old southern word right there innards and then you then you pull it and you eat that stuff that's nasty. Anyway, I want grandma's sausage dressing. I want sweet tea. I want some biscuits. I want Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know where all that came from. Anyway, <laughs> it makes me happy to think about. Um, so let's, let's talk about the duration. Because, oh, my Lord, this has been poorly, poorly 
interpreted over the years. And what I mean by duration is not necessarily the timing of when he's going to come again, but I'm talking about the length of the tribulation. A lot of ink has been spilled over this one, and I want us to probe and and bring some solid biblical scholarship to it. Turn over to Revelation 11. Revelation 11. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. Now stop right there. And very important note, this is not even a part of the message, but I just want to point this out. Some of you, if you're not careful, you would read that and you would think that John of Patmos is talking about the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you're a historical scholar, you know that can't be true because at this time when John of Patmos wrote the book of Revelation, the temple in Jerusalem lied in ruins. It had been destroyed. So if you really just kind of step back from this and really study what John is, John's not talking about the actual temple in Jerusalem. John is reminding us what Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians 3 in that the temple of God, now that Christ has come, is not a building. The temple of God is the people of God. Hello. Now, I know we're about to double this building and knock down these walls and fly in this altar, but can I just remind you, we don't necessarily build buildings. We build buildings to build people. We, come on, come on. We are the temple. Look at your neighbor and say, you bad old temple. (laughs) There you go. You You did better than I thought you would. But it's clear the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for, don't miss this, for how long? And I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Where can I do this? How many months? How many days is that? 1,260? What does that equal? 42 months. How many years is that equal? Huh? It's not a trick question. Yeah. Very 3.5 years. Okay. Are we tracking? Let me keep going. Let me keep going. Clothed in sackcloth, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they will stand before the Lord of the earth. If you're wondering about lampstands, go get the message from the resource center from a few weeks ago. People worship the dragon because he had been given authority to the beast. I cannot wait to preach on the dragon and the archangel in Revelation 12 in a couple weeks. Oh, my word. Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast, now we're slipping on down to Revelation 13. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for... It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and slander the name. So you get to Revelation 13. That's a chapter later. And you you see how many months again? Plus 42 months. That's how many days? 1,260. I'm not going to write it. But that's that's what? 3.5 years. Not a trick question. Just uh, What's 3.5 plus 3.5? Well, you're brilliant. Seven years. The tribulation is going to last seven years. Now, don't miss this. Seven means what? And complete. So you're, you're smart people, and you really, really, I love the mental energy in the room right now. Is the tribulation going to last literally seven years? No, the tribulation is going to last as long as it lasts. And then when it is done, it will be complete. 
God decides when the tribulation is going to come to an end. We know that it symbolically is represented by seven years, which is a long season. And when it is complete, it is complete. When it is done, it is done. Should Benji Kelly try to predict when it is done? No. Should you? No. Jesus said no one knows but the Father in heaven. And the Father decides when it is done. Let's continue. And his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people. And to conquer them. And it was given authority over the tribe. Over every tribe. People. Language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the. The Antichrist. Roams on planet earth. The Antichrist owns. People's souls. People thumb their nose at God. And many of them worship the Antichrist. And they don't even know it. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So those who follow Satan, those who follow the ways of evil, they do not have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. But those who do have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, watch this, whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for, come help me out church, this calls for what? Say it again. Endurance and faithfulness on the part of who? If you're a child of God, if you're a born again child of God, Of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you are a Christian. This should be a very encouraging word for you. We'll end with that in just a moment. But you need to be patient. And you need to endure. Because this world is difficult. And we might as well admit it. This is hard. Life is jacked up. This is a fallen world. We are living in the judgments of God. You say how long will it go on? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. But God tells me not to worry about it. But here's what God tells me to do in the midst of it. Practice patient endurance and faithfulness because he's coming and it will end one day and every single living breathing person will face the ultimate judgment of God and what you see now is only an unfortunate foretaste Of what we will see later. And the question I would have for you. Is do you simply need to endure and hold on. Because your name is already written in the Lamb's book of life. Thanks be to God. Do you just need to be encouraged today. With patient endurance and faithfulness. Or might you be here today. And you need to repent. And give your life to God. I found it fascinating this week as I studied for today that this, and and I've been studying for Revelation for months now, but I never really put it together. I just didn't think about it. But this week it hit me. 
I'm preaching on the tribulation on the weekend after the anniversary of 9-11. You remember? 2001? You remember? May we never forget those who lost their lives. But may we never forget there is evil on planet Earth. There is evil on planet Earth. And now our country, and I promised I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it because I'm going to follow the Spirit of God. Now our country is so idiotic that we're going to go striking a deal with Iran for $150 billion. And as we do that, they sit there and chant, hello, death to America. Now that's a whole other subject and I'm going to come on back. But can I just tell you, listen, we're, this world is getting crazy. This world is getting to a feverish pitch of the judgment of God. You go back and read about the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, and you tell me it's not happening all over planet Earth in epic proportion. Hey, hey, look at some of these images. I just want to send in, in some of these images. May we never forget. Look at this one. Watch this. And look at this last one of utter despair, hopelessness. Hold on, brother. Hold on, sister. There's coming a better day. There's coming, a, and if you're anything like me, sometimes you long for that day. I mean, I, I do want Thanksgiving to come, but I got to tell you, there are some days where I'm just like, come, Lord Jesus. By the way, that's God's spirit inside of you, you longing for a homecoming. That's you longing for a place of beauty, a, a place of peace, a place where there will be no more tears. That's you longing to, to be with your loved ones. Don't miss it. We're going to end the series. I'm going to end the series preaching on Revelation, the, the, the new Jerusalem, heaven itself, Revelation 21 and 22, just a few weeks away. But that's getting ahead of myself. Are you ready? Are you ready for the day when this will happen? Brothers and sisters, if you're, if you're following me on the Bible, just, just take a left. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We're going to end here today. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Because the Bible makes it very clear how the tribulation is going to end. Now, when's it going to end? When it ends. Is it going to be seven years? No. So you ever see that kind of written anywhere? You hear somebody preaching that? That's rubbish. That's, that's, we, don't, we don't know. Okay? Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Now, when the Bible says sleep in death, the Bible is talking about those who have died. That's, what's, that's the way the Bible says it. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died, those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no what? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive. Okay, that's everybody here. Everybody here, we're still alive. I think. Who are left until the coming of the Lord, those who are still alive, will certainly not precede those who have died. Okay? 
See what the Bible's saying here? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Follow this. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So there will be a literal, physical, bodily resurrection. Now, to be clear on this, I've been getting asked this a lot lately. Some of you have been grabbing me in the rotunda asking me this. You've been saying, well, what happens when we die now? It's very clear in the scriptures. When a person dies now, their spirit, if they are in Christ, their spirit is united with God immediately. You say, where do you get that from? Pastor, you remember the, remember the thief on the cross? One was ridiculing Jesus and one was not. And Jesus said, today. When? Today you will be with me in paradise. So when we die, the spirit is united with Christ, but the body awaits a bodily resurrection. And I know some of you have like thousands of questions about that right now. Just trust me, it's another day, another time. But the Bible says there's a bodily resurrection, and we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together so we won't precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. They will have the bodily resurrection. If we happen to be living when he pierces the eastern sky, when the archangel declares, when the trumpet goes off, if we're living we too we too will be caught up together with them them who he was just talking about those who have died in the clouds to meet the lord in the air final words and so we will be with the lord come on church how long come on church how long we'll be come on church we'll be with the lord forever and this is important Therefore, encourage one another. See, some of you read the book of Revelation, or some of you listen to people preach the book of Revelation, and you leave freaked out. You leave frightened, and you can't sleep at night. If you know Christ, this is a very encouraging word. You can leave here today knowing that you know that you know that yes, you live in a beautiful world, but you also live in a jacked up world and we're to be lights in the midst of darkness. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But if you know Christ, one day he's going to call your name. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to stand in all of your sin looking at a holy God and the Father's going to look at you and Jesus is going to say, he's okay. He or she belongs to me. They receive what I did for them on the cross of Jesus. They belong to to me. But if you don't know him, oh boy, this should frighten you. This should literally scare the hell out of you. You think 9-11 was bad. That was just one city in a big world. When the post-apocalyptic era comes and Jesus returns and puts an end to it all, you will stand before God. And if you don't know Christ, you think living here on these days is difficult. You will go to hell forever. You say, what will hell be like, Pastor? I'm not really sure. The Bible says it will be endless weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible uses images like lakes of sulfur and fire. To which some of you postmodern people are going, well, why would God send me to hell? God's not sending you to hell. You're choosing to go to hell. God, 
the whole purpose of Revelation is that you would repent. Peter would say in the Bible, another book in the New Testament, Peter would say the reason he tarries, the reason he delays in his return is that he desires that no one should perish but that all should repent. He's not sending you to hell. He's not sending your dad to hell. He's not sending my dad to hell. They're choosing it. And he loves you. And he desires for you to repent and be adopted into the kingdom of God where you will reign in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever with everyone's name who's written in the Lamb's book of life. So I want to give you a chance to repent and to give your life to God because you can know that you know that you know that you're saved today. You can know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and nothing will snatch you out of the loving hands of God. But I don't want to give you that opportunity right now. I want you to stay in your seats. Don't, don't leave. Please don't leave. They're going to sing a song over us. The song is titled come Lord Jesus even now, even so come Lord Jesus you can stay seated unless you just can't contain yourself that happened last service and you got to stand but you can stay seated, you can sing if you want you can sing, words are going to be on the screen but you don't have to you can sit and you can ponder this question, are you ready? am I ready? am I ready? To see God face to face am I ready for the ultimate judgment of God ponder that as they sing Father we love you Father we thank you for your word thank you for your truth thank you for what you're doing here today pray that you would pour out your spirit upon this community as we gather today may your will be done in this very moment in Jesus name Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, just stop by one of our campuses anytime or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. If you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org and our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. Thanks for being a part of our church family and we hope you'll join us next week.